What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wise Cracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, my name is Jared, and I'm joined here with the Classic Three, the Show Me the Meaning crew. All the way on the other side of town, we got Ryan over the phone. What's up, Ryan? What up, film fans? I'm back, baby. 2019. And all the way in Australia... We got Austin. Yo, you know, I was just thinking, it's almost more authentic with Ryan doing Show Me the Meaning over the phone, because that's definitely closer to <laughs> Jerry Maguire, right? Screaming into the phone, saying... Yeah, that's the scene, exactly. E- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that. Anyway, today we're talking about, we're doing our first non-film. We're doing the Black Mirror episode Bandersnatch that came out in 2018, directed by David Slade, starring, hope I don't fuck this up, Fion Whitehead, Fion, I don't know. You you wouldn't call this a film? Uh, well, we can get into that. I don't think I quite would. Would you? I uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, I'd call it a film. Yeah, okay, you know, I mean, it's longer than your average uh, a Black Mirror episode. It's only an hour. You know, anything approaching an hour and a half, two hours, film. All right. Well, anyway, so I think it's more of a game. But anyway, let's get first impressions. I want to hear what you guys thought about the overall experience, and I want to hear about your adventure. Tell me about what happened in your adventure. Let's start with Ryan. Okay. Um, so it's hard for me to really say because, I, A, I, I, uh, I suppress this by saying I did not, like, skip around and try to go on every adventure. All right. I went on, I probably, I heard that there's five hours of footage in this thing, and I definitely only saw about the 90 minutes of my, you know, in my adventure. Um, and overall, so I, and I was very excited about this. I think that the concept's cool, and it, has, and it has lots of applications, I think, for the future. I definitely give them lots of props for trying it. It sounds like a fucking bitch to make. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a really cool concept, and it's even cooler that they, you know, put the the trigger and adventure concept in the in the film. You know, that's actually a big part of the deal. I liked everything that went into the thought of making it. I didn't totally love the experience. I, I kind of I love Black Mirror, but this is this is definitely like a uh, uh, it's just kind of dreary, and and I really don't like any story really about mental breakdowns usually. I mean, Fight Club's cool. Shutter Island, I don't know, but the, the, like, like it's, to me, that's a hard genre to make, and especially in the confines of this already complicated, you know, uh, thing that we're doing, uh, new innovative thing. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I give the whole hmm. whole overall experience a solid B minus, but A plus for originality. Hmm. Interesting. All right, what about you, Austin? Yeah, I am kind of in a similar boat. I think. Originality, the sort of conceit of the idea, all of that I think is amazing. I think it's provocative. I think it's got some fun themes to explore. Um, I don't think it blows my hair back like some of the episodes do with with how it provokes my thought. But I still would give it an A for effort. And then for execution, I wasn't like in love with everything. Uh, I thought Will Poulter was fantastic, but the main actor did. I didn't love him. Um, uh, the boss in the the software company, Tucker. I didn't love his performance. Um, uh, you know, and and I'm a sucker for acting, so that stuff for me kind of it, it like takes me out of it a little bit. You know, if I'm gonna give like a film, let's say an A across the board, so I'd give it, but I'll give it like an. A minus or a B plus. Not quite as downgraded as Ryan. All right. Well, tell me about your adventure. Oh, fuck, dude. I went and did like all of them. And I watched it twice. Okay. I went back. I explored everything. Okay. I, I, I chose everything. And then I chose wow. the opposite of my choices. And then when I would go to like the the pit, the bit where it would say like get to your credits, I would go back and I would do different paths. I tried fucking – I probably spent – I mean I, if I didn't get all of the footage, I got damn near close. Yeah. Okay, so, so so you went on every adventure. See, I, I, I came at it very pure. I was like, okay, I'm going to pretend like, you know, I, I'm doing as if I was this character, you know, in real life. What would I do? I definitely wouldn't jump off that fucking uh, uh, tower, you know, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to make that guy do it. You know, I, I definitely tried to be like, all right, if, if I was doing this, what would I do? 
And so my, my adventure, yeah, I, I took the LSD. I let I, I let that guy jump off. Um, and my video, I, God, what happened at the end? Did, did, did you, do you remember what happened? <laughs> well, it depends. There's a lot of different things that happen. Exactly. See, yeah. So, and we'll probably get to this, but my main frustration with this that you guys probably also got to is that it just seemed like there was lots of times where I'd, I'd make my very, you know, clear choice and then I'd get to its logical conclusion and it would bring me back to where I just was like basically saying, okay, no, we, we almost forcing me to pick what I didn't want to do. It was kind of what it, it yes, felt like. That's the point. Mm. Sometimes. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. Well, it's actually, so you mentioned two things. You mentioned two things, Ryan, that I think is probably the two most interesting takeaways that we'll get into a little bit later. But one is you said that I made the choices that I would make. And two, you said that, but ultimately they just point point me into the choices that they want to take, which if you get the, quote, good ending, uh, the character Stefan kind of alludes to. But in terms of my experience, man, I thought this was dope. I, I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, I... When the first time that choice got prompted and like the time was ticking away and I was doing it on my PS4 and the controller was rumbling and I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, this is kind of cool because it wasn't it wasn't janky. It wasn't like, you know, all right, you know, it stops, it loads, you enter a screen. It was seamless. And that was the first seamless choose your own adventure digital thing I'd ever experienced. I mean, I agree that it's different from other Black Mirror episodes. There's no uh, paranoia about technology uh, or its trajectory. It's well, basically... yeah. Well, Will Poulter's character, Colin, right? He's everything's in control. You know, PAC, and I don't know. It depends on one of the one of the roots. Well, if we identify if we identify with the technology, we have to assume that we are being controlled by either a government conspiracy, a demon, some sort of cosmic determinism, or Netflix, basically. And I, you know, if you want to go and down the free will determinism route if you want to interpret it through that i don't know to me it's just the conceit is that we have it's kind of like the uss enterprise or the one the the first episode of the most recent season where a guy has characters that he basically duplicates from his real life and then they're trapped into the simulation and and he's basically god you can kind of say that it's like that because the idea is that we create characters for this narrative that then are like freaking out because they don't have control over their own narrative. But I don't really see how that directly applies to us. Not a, whereas in a real Black Mirror episode, like we see the one with the grain, which is the thing that's in the back of people's ears, and we say to ourselves, "Oh man, it's going to be only a couple of years before that technology happens, and we are going to be in similar situations as the people that have the grain implanted in them, or the characters that mm. we're seeing in this show." I don't really see that happening in this episode. This is kind of like an exercise that only really applies to basically choose your own adventure stories. Hmm. I don't know, because there was that big bit when they do LSD and Will Poulter has that massive monologue about how everyone's in control and Pac-Man stands for programming and control. And then there's this other bit in one, right, and one of the offshoots, and then it's all about codes and numbers and you have to pay attention to the numbers. And it's, I guess it depends on how many sequences you play, but one of the offshoots is, is you know, where you have the choice of communicating with the main character and putting either the Netflix logo or the sort of like choice logo on the screen. Well, there's another stream that will get you to where you can actually put PAC on the screen, PACS, and then that'll take him into the bedroom and he can like change things. And so again, it's this idea that I think it's trying to say that we are all programmed and controlled because of this multiverse um, confluence of choices and there's algorithms that are actually controlling everything that we do and we are living in Pac-Man's world. We are Pac-Man. See, okay. I mean, I I see where you're going here, but I interpreted it as Colin is basically just alluding to the fact that he's inside of a game, not unlike Pac-Man. He is Pac-Man. He's inside this digital construct in which he can't make his own choices, and every time he thinks he is, it's actually just being guided by the invisible puppet master, which is us. And you don't think then that that's by extension a universal that we also should take for our world, that we we all— I just don't see the motive— I don't just I don't see the motivation to extend it beyond the literal of hey you are trapped inside a computer game not unlike the the conceit of oh, the okay. show like I, I yeah yeah anyway we can get more into detail let's go into a recap and um, how the fuck are you gonna recap <laughs> this <laughs> uh, I'll try <laughs> you'll you'll see me try all right so in this choose your own adventure experience a talented '80s game developer Stefan Butler is offered the deal of his dreams when he's invited to finish his computer game Bandersnatch at the company that produces the games of his idol, Colin Rittman. 
Stefan denies the offer in favor of finishing the game by himself and letting the company market and sell it. With his deadline looming and the complexity of adapting the infamous Chose Your Own Adventure book to game form weighing on him, he finds himself deep in the hole. His father ushers him to his therapist who helps him work through a childhood trauma that ended in his mother's death. In another path, Colin guides Stefan through an LSD trip and tells him that reality is like a game. Every choice is another path, so if you die, just try again. Eventually, Stefan becomes convinced that he's not in control of his actions, and depending on the path you choose, the force pulling his strings can be you, a Netflix viewer, a government experiment gone wrong, the Pax demon from the book, or a cosmic deterministic force that the enigmatic Bandersnatch writer was convinced of, thus driving him to kill his wife. Stefan, too, can kill his dad, his boss, or Colin, or seek solace at his therapist's place. Either way, the Bandersnatch game is released to a variety of reviews depending on which path you took. End of experience. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. All right, so um, I guess so. One thing I remembered while I was reading the uh, recap, which I think that you can't, or at least I was struggling to make the leap to say that okay, well then, our life is similarly in these deterministic loops. Is that I don't really see how that how that translates into oh, okay, well if Pac Man dies, it doesn't bother him. Just try again. Well, it happens at the end of, at least at the end of my experience, you know, it, 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 it happens to a whole, that whole, that, that woman in, the, in, in, our, in our modern times, you know, it's like she's in our present day and then the same shit is happening to her. So to me, that is kind of like, it could be any of us kind of thing. Yeah, but none of, yeah, but right. even that woman is being controlled by us, the Netflix viewer. I don't really see how that applies to my what? life. I've never really experienced something in which I was convinced that a streaming service from the future was controlling my Right, actions. but maybe Colin was just wrong. Oh, man, I, every day I walk around going, who the fuck is controlling you right now? Right. But may, maybe Colin is just wrong in his interpretation as he stands before this infinite potential of choices. So there's a there's a book out right now by a scholar named Adam Kotzko. I may have mentioned it on this podcast before, but it's called Neoliberalism's Demons. And I haven't read the book, but I've heard people talk about it and I've read excerpts. And one of the things he talks about is that when you are overwhelmed by choice, you face something called like choice paralysis, right? And there's these there's these weird phenomena that emerge when you have endless choices or endless amount of quote-unquote freedom. If freedom is really freedom of choice, the free to choose to consume this product or this product or go this place or this place or to do this action or that action, um, what happens when you compound that to infinity? And what ends up happening is that are your choices therefore meaningless when you talk about multiverses and all of these various strands that are coming through? And that's one of the things that Colin alludes to with this idea that there are all these alternate timelines. And then when you talk about like multiverse theory, there are people that are saying that, you know, there's like a another podcast being recorded right now called Show Me the Bleaning rather than Show Me the Meaning or whatever, or one of the other choices that we could have chosen for the topic of this thing. And every other bit of the conversation is the same, but there are minor tweaks, Right. And so the idea is, is that do your choices in this timeline ultimately matter uh, in themselves or do they only matter insofar as they contribute to the overall web, let's say, or these overall intersecting networks in this multiversal sort of um, totality? And that's one of the things that Colin is alluding to. And that, I think, is what is applicable from his kind of paranoic, we're all just programmed and controlled and it's an algorithm and it's just numbers. Okay, that Austin, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what my reading of it is because I felt like we got a lot of requests to do this, which is why we ended up doing it. And I felt like people wanted us to talk about how what is happening to Stefan is somehow indicative of some greater philosophical meaning in our lives. But I, I couldn't really make those dots. So to me, this whole thing is essentially about the ludology of playing a choose-your-own-adventure game or reading a choose-your-own-adventure book. I think really the biggest thing that you can derive from this is that choose-your-own-adventure books always create an invisible puppet master that you will change our relationship to the protagonist. So 
the episode allows you to contextualize yourself, us, the viewer, the person who is making the choices in the narrative as either we are a government conspiracy, like because he says, like, who's controlling my actions? Well, we, the viewer, are either a government conspiracy, a Netflix viewer or a godlike figure, which is what Colin is referring to. So I think what's interesting about this is that I think it's almost as if like this episode is pointing to the limitations or even criticizing the nature of a choose your own adventure narrative before it's even a thing. Because I think it's pointing to how characters in a choose your own adventure thing are inherently different than in a regular narrative. Because in a choose your own adventure thing, what we find out or what it's pointing to is that Stefan or the protagonist essentially becomes a puppet to the viewer, which will ultimately give us a different experience than the experience of passively watching a character's journey. I'm curious what you guys think about this, because I actually think that it creates more distance. As I made Stefan do things out of morbid curiosity, like chop up his dad, to me it kind of breaks the fourth wall in a way that dispels the illusion of the narrative and distances us from identifying with the character because... The nature of choice makes me makes him my puppet that I just fuck around with. And I think there's a very important distinction between identifying with a character's choices and actually making them. Um, it's interesting how when I was I was writing the summary for this episode and I kept on having to stop myself from saying I instead of Stefan. But but the but, you know, when Stefan says, like, who are you reveal yourself? Who is pulling my strings? The episode is making a very clear point to differentiate between I am not Stefan. I am the guy pulling Stefan's strings. It kind of feels like that. I see where you're coming from, but at the same time, you're not really puppeting him around because you're not like making him do anything you want. You're, you're choosing between two things that Netflix is giving you the option of, you know? Right. So it's more like about picking duality, like binary choices that, you know, I, I don't have an option of what, the two forces are so I'm just taking whatever one is applicable at the moment. So I don't know. That's why I, I kind of got frustrated sometimes. Where it's like I don't want to do either of these things, you know. But I guess you're giving me a choice, so I'll pick it. Well, it's a constrained choice, and and I would argue that from a philosophical perspective, all choices are ultimately constrained choices, right? Like I don't have the choice to fly mm-hmm. out my window right now. I am limited by my material body, by the demands and the limits that the material environment are imposing upon me. I can't put my microphone down right now because I have to hold it in a particular position. Um, there are things that I can and cannot do that are constrained by the material conditions in which I'm thrown at every given moment. This is a notion of freedom that is different than libertarian freedom, but it's the idea of the uh, conditioned freedom. You're free within conditions that are not of your own choosing. So I think that's brilliant, and that's why I actually really like what you said, Jared, because I don't I don't disagree with how you interpreted it. I don't think it's exclusive to what I was saying earlier about the sort of idea of you know like. Uh, the impossibility of choice or the inconsequential nature of choice insofar as it like doesn't matter individually but only to serve the whole. But this is the thing that I got really caught up in. I got really affected empathically by trying to tell this guy to do something that I knew was damaging to his computer, to his purpose, to kill his yeah. father, to chop up his father or to bury his father. And I felt really gross and I thought there was something brilliant about this because I was thinking about video games where you control somebody yeah. to do something horrific, some sort of horrific human behavior, but there's no empathy there. You're able to disconnect and just go on a GTA and just fucking carjack people and beat the shit out of people and do whatever the fuck you want. Go on a killing spree and it's funny and you can laugh because you're not as empathic with a digital creature. Whereas when this is a, a, a flesh and blood human actor that can emote at a level that is very similar to where I can emote, even through a digital medium, I'm able to feel the consequences and there's a responsibility, therefore, for the choices that I impose onto that character that I'm controlling. And that, for me, was really impactful. See, here's why I disagree. You don't play video games. I think we no, no, established this. No, I used to, this, I used to dude, play all the time. I just well, don't but, anymore. Yeah, well, so my, my point is for the first thing that you said, the line between flesh and blood and pixels is just getting blurrier every day. Some of, you know, even video game performances these days are largely motion captured and are very humanistic. I mean, you play Red Dead 2, I honestly think that you would have a similar experience or of seeing a human being in those characters. I'm not saying it's the exact same. Obviously, I think you'd probably identify more with Stefan than you would 
Arthur Morgan in Red Dead 2, but I am saying that that line is getting blurrier and blurrier or rather thinner, thinner and thinner. And so that's why I would argue that maybe it is the nature of choice more so than it is, well, fuck Grand Theft Auto. I don't give a shit if this guy dies because he's a bunch of pixels versus I actually care about Stefan Butler mm. and I don't want to make any choices that harm his life. I guess I would call into question whether it is the fact that you're seeing a human being versus a collection of pixels. And I actually think that the nature of choice itself makes you almost it, it requires you to be less sympathetic because as i mentioned earlier it does create that distance between because we are not the character usually in a traditional narrative we project onto the character and kind of fill his shoes in some sense but by giving us the viewer a choice that is not privileged to the character it creates this distance yeah yeah i thought that was really interesting the way i interpreted it when i was playing was that it was um it was like playing with our expectation right like like you know the when you're watching a movie, you expect certain patterns of human behavior, right? And you as the viewer aren't usually in control of any element of it. The filmmaker and the writer and the actor and everyone, they're the ones that are in control of fulfilling the expectations. And they make the expectations and they fulfill them. And this one, you kind of get to fulfill your own expectations. And so there was a weird kind of participatory element in that. But I do agree with you, but that it was at a distance. There was a form of like Brechtian alienation because you then are aware of participating in this digital medium that you're not supposed to be, quote unquote, right? Because you're not used to be able to participating in this. So you're not supposed to. So it does create this weird kind of tension between yourself and your participation through this digital medium with these human actors that are carrying out this story. And so it kind of, I don't know, it kind of confounds things a little bit. It did for me. So, uh, all right. So I think we can move on. So the other thing I want to mention that I think everyone is very aware of, but this is kind of one of the things that we get yelled at if we don't bring up is just how meta <laughs> this episode is. <laughs> so the episode is called Bandersnatch, a choose your own adventure of game slash episode of Black Mirror, whatever you want to call it. That is like the choose your own adventure book within the story of the same name. The game he's making is called Bandersnatch, in which a player chooses your own adventure. Uh, I love later in one of the paths, he adds a government conspiracy path when the episode of Black Mirror itself starts exploring mm. that narrative. And then if you get, I believe, what is the good ending? Uh, Colin's daughter, all grown up, makes the Black Mirror episode that you're watching. So everything we've seen is contextualized as the creation of someone in the in-episode world. And then it gets crazy off the rails. We control the creator of the episode we're watching, and it goes meta another level, which I think is just kind of a gag at the end. Yeah, um, because both, and then there's one both ending options of destroying the computer or spilling the coffee go to the credits. Right. Yeah. And then there's one ending. Did you get the one where he's in his therapist's office and... If you try to jump out the window after she starts trying to fight you, after you're saying, like, hey, this is all a Netflix thing, basically the director, it's like, cut. And then, like, all right, we're going to take it again. I thought that was super interesting. I mean, it's it, they're just fucking with us. It just keeps like, getting more and more meta, and it's hilarious. Yeah, and he's, like, referring to himself by his actor's name, and they're, like, and the woman, like, the AD or whatever is kind of like, do you need to take a break? Take five? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so good. Uh, all right. So uh, let's talk about Colin. I thought this was a great character. I don't. Maybe I just fucking great. I just like the guy's performance so much. Hey, real quick, real quick. You want to get meta? Did you hear that Will Poulter has pulled himself off of social media? I did hear about that. I just saw the headline. What What was the deal? I mean, so there. It, it was interesting timing that it literally happened after Bandersnatch, and he does. I think. I, I think I remember that he alluded to it, like saying thank you or something like that. But he basically just says that it's not good for his mental health, and he wants to do things that are gonna that he that are gonna focus and uh, focus his attention on things that are better for his own flourishing and whatnot moving forward. Something along those lines. And I think, I think there was something alluded to about like you know I've been thinking about this over the the past while and. I think that the idea was is that his experience of Bandersnatch and kind of exploring these themes has kind of like created a different shift in how he perceives his own involvement through social media and online activities. And he felt like it would be best to then pull himself away. Well, that's why I I'm not on Twitter. I think the person controlling him just said, I don't want to be on social media anymore. <laughs> that's right. You know. I chose a different path. Well, that makes exactly. sense. Do you guys think uh, that Colin is the Pax Demon? 
So the reason I ask this is because in ba- hmm. in Bandersnatch, the game, the game that Stefan is creating, you can, quote, worship the Pax Demon, uh, and Stefan worships Colin. And then interestingly, in the LSD scene, when Stefan enters Colin's apartment, Colin says, grab a pew, when he asks Stefan to sit down on his couch. And then the tab of acid has the Pax Demon on it. Um, and I'm wondering if... So I found this to be interesting... But I, you know, but but at the same time, like the Pax Demon is an evil force. I don't know if we're supposed to interpret Colin as an evil force. He didn't seem evil to me at all. Hmm. Yeah. One more layer on that: when his dad drives him to go to his therapist, and you have the choice to go to see the therapist or to follow Colin. Where the fuck does Colin come from? Yeah. Exactly. Right. It, yeah. So is he just an illusion in Stefan's mind? Um, what's going on there? Yeah. Small town, man. small town in england they're all like that right this is really interesting honestly like like talking to this with you guys because you know i i have no idea what this pax demon is because i didn't go on that adventure you know i uh um i stayed and and i became the netflix uh, person that tried to tell tried to warn the other dude well, the Pax Demon is so in the actual game that Stefan is making, the Pax Demon shows up. It's like, I think when he's showing them the demo in the opening, in one of the opening scenes at uh, Tuckersoft, you see the mm-hmm. Pax Demon. And then there's a, a path that if you look at the book and key or the door and key book, and then you go into your dad's safe or whatever, you can type in Pax. And uh, then, like, the Pax Demon shows up. Oh, and even, like, after Colin throws himself off the balcony in that path, when you exit the balcony, you see the Pax Demon for a second, and it goes, rah. So. Yeah, and there's this bit when Colin Colin gives a documentary to Stefan to watch that's on the life of the author of the book, Bandersnatch. William S. Davies, or Jerome F. Davies. That's right. And they go into some of the background of who this demon was and how this demon affected Davies and convinced him to decapitate his wife and um, all this other stuff. So there's a little more background once you kind of take some of the other diverging paths. You know, one thing I I found interesting, uh, so the first time I went through it, one of the choices that you can make is which album uh, that Stefan can buy when he's in the record (laughs) store. One of them is the Tangerine Dream album Phaedra, and I'm a big Tangerine Dream fan. Uh, they're a, a contemporary to Kraftwerk, Ryan, since earlier in this podcast, Ryan said that's all I ever listened to, which is kind of true. But um, <laughs> and then the other one, I can't remember what the other the other album is. But the first time I chose the Tangerine Dream album because I like it so much. But the second time I chose the other album. Now, interestingly enough, that changes the soundtrack for like one or two scenes. But then when you get to the end, it reverts back to the Tangerine Dream album no matter what. So, hmm. And I know that have did you guys ever try the path where you go into Colin's apartment and tell him that I don't want to take the drugs? Yeah, and then he slips it in your tea anyway. And then he says, Is it okay that I made the choice for you? And you're just like, Okay. Right. Whoa. Right, right, right. What a fucking asshole. So there are some yeah, hints. Because I did it I did it too, where I was like, Of course I'm gonna take the tab, man. He this he's in the hole, man. This guy needs in fucking inspiration. So of course oh, I, I did. But well, I took the – yeah, that, right? that's another thing about this distance I'm talking about because I took the drugs because I'm like, I want to see a cinematic psychedelic scene, you know? Like I want to mm. see how Black Mirror does a psychedelic scene. So that's why I'm talking about like once again, like he just becomes my puppet. Like I don't give a shit what happens to Stefan. Maybe he like freaks out and goes over the balcony, which is a possibility. I just wanted to see the actual – Did you start actual... to feel bad for him? Like did you at first think like, oh, this is fun and then you're like, oh, shit, like – I feel really bad for him. I'm going to try to make choices that are only beneficial to him now, but only to realize that you can't. Like, but did you did you feel that empathic connection? I mean, no, because I felt like if I never if I'm feeling bad for him, it's because I think that he's like literally a person inside of the Netflix box on my TV that's trapped for my enjoyment. But he's not. He's an actor, you know, (laughs) Right, but what you don't you don't feel empathy when watching movies? I do, but not when I'm making the choice. Because I mean, my argument that I'm at least putting forward is that it breaks the fourth wall and it becomes a video game more than a movie. Where, I mean, yeah, because I I don't project myself onto the character. I'm constantly reminded of the distance between myself and the character, and because I'm reminded of that distance, I don't give a shit. I'll give him drugs. I'll have him throw tea on his computer. I just want to see what happens. 
See, I, 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 I totally, I, I'm on your side, Austin. I, I, it's not that I have empathy. It's just that it's not like I care about the other guy, but the fact that I had the controller in my hand, it's like, I, I do have the video game association. Like I am that guy, you know, I'm, I'm on the journey with him and I'm, uh, you know, and if I can make choices for him, then I pretty much am him is how I looked at it. And I, so yeah, I did everything that I would do kind of like I said at the beginning. But I get your point too, Joe. Yeah, like, but neither you know, one of you guys philosophy. play video games. It's like to Colin's point. Colin says Pac-Man dies all the time. It doesn't bother him. And I would argue it doesn't bother the gamer either. No matter what game I'm playing, when I die, I'm just like, oh, shit. And then I just start over. You, even, in right, the most emotionally, the even in the most emotionally profound video games, and there are many, like Last of Us, Red Dead 2, these are stories that are you know masterpieces of the first order. And if I die, I don't feel any emotion. I just started. Dude, again. I played Last of Us. I played Last of Us, and I cried. Oh, you did play Last of Us. That's. I'm glad you played that. That's awesome. That's good to hear. I played Last of Us. I cried, bro. Like, yeah, I thought that that game affected me. But what it didn't do is it didn't stop me from making a decision. It still affected me. And and here's the thing that's interesting. So I I actually think that I'm kind of in between both of you because I didn't associate with him. I was disassociated with him. However, I still felt empathy because empathy is different from what neuroscientists refer to as emotional contagion. Emotional contagion is where you cannot separate yourself from the other person. So uh, like Matthew Ricard is a, a neuroscientist. Now he's like a monk. But um, he wrote a book called Altruism if people are interested. He's a Buddhist monk now. And, but he talks about the idea that uh, emotional contagion is where you can't disassociate yourself. And he says that sometimes you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, children and animals – seem to exhibit this type of emotional connection where they think that they are literally connected. You know, babies in particular are sometimes uh, described as they uh, still think that they're in their mother for the first, you know, however many months or whatever until they start to realize that they're actually outside and that they're an autonomous entity, right? And this can happen too when you get caught up in like romance or something like that. You can feel somebody else's emotion and for a second you forget that you're a separate person. You're just connected through this emotional contagion. That's different than empathy that is either cognitive empathy or what's called affective empathy. Cognitive empathy is where you can stop and you can reason and you can rationalize and you can then experience compassion for somebody else. And I think that's what I felt. I mean, you go through all the stages, like that immediate affective empathy, but then I was able to dissociate myself but nevertheless still feel bad that I was putting this other person through this scenario that I knew was harmful to him because I was able to see the pain that he was going through. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it seems like a very thin distinction, but I do find it interesting that in a video game, which is, I mean, as I said, like in The Last of Us, in if it was a movie and Joel died, I'd be bawling my fucking eyes out. But, you know, when I played it, he died multiple times <laughs> right. and I didn't give a shit. Yeah. So let's talk about the Pac-Man metaphor. Um, so... I, I love this, by the way. <laughs> I'd actually never heard. Ne, ne, it was so funny. So Pac-Man, he says, Pac, uh, Colin says, Pac-Man stands for program and control. It's a metaphor for being trapped in a maze. All he can do is consume. He's pursued by demons that are probably in his head, and he can't escape from one side or he'll just end up on the other side. And so um, I understand where Austin's coming from before and how you can definitely take this as a metaphor for you know us living in our society today. But the way I read it, and I was thinking I was trying to read I was reading it much more literally as to uh, Colin trying to awaken him from the game that he's in. So just as Pac-Man is trapped in a maze, Stefan is trapped in a game where all he can do is entertain people on a streaming platform. Uh, they say that Pac-Man is pursued by demons that are probably in his head. We see the Pax demon is in Stefan's head. And they say that Pac-Man can't escape from one side or he'll just end up on the other side. Every time he tries to escape... He uh, or every time you try to find an ending or Stefan dies, you just end up right back at the beginning. So I saw this as much more of a one to one metaphor for just the experience of playing Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror episode. See, I, I think I had heard of like the programming controlled thing before. Is this like did you Google this at all? Is this a common thing? No, I did not. I'm a big Pac-Man fan and I have never heard it, but uh, I don't know. You know who's really good? At, you know who's really good at Pac-Man? Greg. Me. No. Dude, Greg, Greg. I think Greg still there was a Pac-Man machine at the YouTube studios, and I think Greg still has number one. I wish he was here. Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I need to bring it on, dude. I'll fuck him up. Okay. All okay. right. Well, I'll let him know that next time he's on. Um 
Yeah, no, I just I, had like a gnarly sense quick. of deja vu when he was talking about that shit. I was like, I've heard this before. Okay. I, I, and I couldn't, maybe I was just being controlled by a previous uh, timeline that was intersecting at that moment, you know? What were you saying, well, Ryan? Um, what, was, what was y'all's first uh, decision with the, with the cereal? Which, which cereal did y'all pick? I chose the one I on went, the right. I, I, I went Frosted Flakes. Yeah, because I think that the other one isn't available in the U.S., so I was very unfamiliar with it, so I went for the Frosted Flakes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did this multiple times, so the first time I did it, I went Sugar Puffs. Well, okay. m- more importantly, did everybody choose yes when Tucker asked if you wanted to do the game at the office the first time? Yes. Yeah, the first time I'm like, of course I want to be at the office. I want to be around you badass uh, video game people. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought that was kind of a stroke of genius that that gives you a game over immediately so you immediately understand the premise of the show or the, of the episode. Mm-hmm. But, but do you really? Because yeah. that actually was the most confusing part for me is is whenever he says that and then and then the guy and then Colin says wrong path, man. I, I, I thought that and then you die or, or, or it's game over. So for me, I thought that it was gonna, you know, he was he was the Morpheus of the Matrix in this. Thing. He was gonna come out and be like the, the either the Netflix person or I don't know, uh, but that never happened really. He just kind of was like a guy who thought you know, LSD and thought he knew what was up, but he never, to me, really seemed like he broke through the Matrix. He never goes all the way there, but he definitely does. Well, no, during the LSD scene, he basically tells him that. I mean, it's a little vague because I think it's supposed to apply to the multiple paths because on one hand, he says people are watching you. They drug your food. So that kind of syncs up with the government conspiracy path. But then he also says that we live in a game and you can just die and try again. So he kind of does. I mean, he never is like Morpheus and gives him a straight up answer and gives him a red pill or blue pill if you want to escape. But um, right, I, I thought for sure that, he, it was, you know, since it seems so concrete that he was the wrong path, that I thought, okay, this guy's going to actually break about. But really, it is very vague. It's just like, he, you know, he never knows for sure. You don't know if he's a true authority figure. He's kind of an unreliable narrator guy. So is Maybe. The, so when you make that decision at the beginning and you choose, yes, I want to stay at the office, and then it cuts to the review of Bandersnatch and its horrible reviews, and then Colin, I'm sorry, Stefan says, I want to try again. I want to try again. Is that just him completely breaking the fourth wall? Does that make any sense within the context of the episode? Are we to believe that he goes into his room and kills himself because it's just try again like Pac-Man? It makes zero sense. That's kind of, yeah, that, that was a frustrating <laughs> thing. That never comes back again, really. It happens on another path. There's another game over where Stefan basically just says, well, it's time to start over or I'm going to start over. And then it usually just cuts or he walks into a room or something. He walks off and then. Yeah. And then, and then it takes you to like a, a split screen or whatever right, you have to and, choose and, and, between the two. Right. I mean, did you ever try to do the same path again to see if it would give you a different outcome? Because that, I did at first. You mean get I, a game like, over oh, okay. and then try the same yeah, thing? Yeah. No, I didn't. I did because I was thinking, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be clever if the first attempt they say wrong path and then the second attempt – now, they, they, they probably are limited in what they were able to do. But I could imagine future versions of this where they, they make it even more complex where it's like the first and second attempt because they just want to fuck with you and play with your capacity for choice, right? Because part of this is is Charlie Brooker is really exploring why we choose what we choose. How do we, like, I would love to look at the analytics for what it is that people choose oh, yeah. and then do a sort of like sociological study as to what they choose on their first watch, right? And to see the sort of like spread graph on this because I'd be super curious to know which cereal did people choose and where are they based? If American audiences only chose the Frosted Flakes or whatever it was, is that because they don't know what sugar puffs are? And then do British audiences choose, choose sugar puffs? And then... Do people choose to work in isolation and reject the offer because they're rebellion or they're rebellious or they're assholes? Or do they choose that they do want to work in the office because people like to work in a sort of collaborative environment? Like, I think that there are all these interesting things we can extract from this. And this might be because I'm giving Charlie Brooker so much credit going into this film. So like you said, Jared, you didn't think that the Pac-Man thing had any sort of maybe like real world application. Maybe I just go into this thinking Charlie Brooker is trying to make a comment on our real experience in life and so i'm i'm trying to almost look for those things so maybe i'm being over charitable or maybe i'm imposing i don't know but it's definitely because charlie brooker for me is in this everywhere Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see how you would you would uh, bring about that analysis. What are you saying, Ryan? I was just going to say, uh, in the in the, the program on the live stream, uh, a man named Jacob Starr says he listens to lots of conspiracy quacks and that he has heard the Pac-Man um, statement before, uh, you know, whatever in control. So uh, it is a thing. Okay, so it's not, a, it's not original to Bandersnatch. Interesting. All right, mm. so did you, Austin, did you get the good ending? So correct me if I'm wrong. Is that, that's the one where it's uh, his daughter years later yeah, tries so to do it? Stefan chops, yeah, up, I got chops it. up his dad. I got dad. it multiple times. Yeah, so he yeah. chops up his dad. He goes into his therapist's office. He says he finishes the game. He had a breakthrough. And what he did is he stripped loads out, and he gave basically the illusion of free will, but ultimately he decides the ending. And this is what you were alluding to earlier, Ryan, is that ultimately we think that we're given free will, but ultimately if we choose the wrong thing, the 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 episode, the structure of the episode just prompts us with a choice again and we get to go back and remake our decisions and basically the episode can guide us to where it wants to take us. Yeah, and I think it was as frustrating in in the <laughs> video as that idea is in life. You yeah. know, it's like, well, all right, I guess I'm I'm choosing, but I'm not choosing. Thanks. Yeah. You know. Well, what if we did take that and we extended that into our daily choices? Like right now, Ryan, you're choosing, but maybe you're not choosing in the way that you could choose if you were under different conditions. And if you can feel that and recognize that, how does that change how we orient ourselves to the choices we're presented with? Because we, I think we're so fucking arrogant to think that, oh, I'm choosing whatever I want. Look at me. I'm raising my hand above my head and shaking it and screaming like a banshee because I want to do what I fucking want to do. And we think we're so powerful and able to do that. But what if we're really full of shit? And there are a lot of sort of like counter ideas to that that try to articulate that no we really are determined whether it's biological determinism or some sort of like situated contextual or structural or political or unconscious determinism there are all these various other counter narratives that try to kind of combat that and there's this confrontation between these two orientations to how we make choice and I think exploring that and feeling that and feeling the anxiety one of freedom of choice but also feeling the anxiety that we're not fucking free that we're free, but only within limited, constructed frameworks. And to feel that and then to think through the implications of that is one of the things that this film elicited in me and one of the things that I think is really profound. I totally agree. My, my answer to that, to your first question, though, you know, is, is to, to me, the illusion of free choice pretty much is free choice, you know, in my mind. Like if I had, as long as it's you, free enough. <laughs> yeah, it's free enough. It's like, all right, right. you know, if, if it feels free, then God damn it, it is free. <laughs> that's like that's frightening because like the the tangibility or or, or or uh yeah the uh what's the word i'm looking for yeah i guess the tangibility of what could feel free it, it can go a lot of ways well yeah right <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah no i had i had somebody hit me up on twitter one time who was listening to wisecrack uh, show me the meaning and I don't remember exactly what how he framed it, but it was something like, do you ever just sit there and feel like that, that everything around you is bullshit and all of a sudden you get caught up and you realize that all of these things are like imposing demands and pressures on you? And I was like, yeah, dude. I was like, that's like one of the foundational findings in philosophy, right? Like Plato's allegory of the cave, right? The matrix. It's about like breaking free from this, realizing that you have been controlled. But can you ever find the truth where you aren't being in control anymore? But then – Maybe you can't ever because the truth that you think is the truth is really just another framework of control. So I get it where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm free enough. But what if you find those moments where you're sitting there and you're faded or you're drunk or you're just like in a state of meditation or whatever or you watch Bandersnatch and you find yourself and you're like, fuck, man, maybe maybe we are fucking controlled by like everything. And this is all bullshit. But then we just ignore it. We're like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to go eat some Pop-Tarts. And yeah, Ryan, you should tell your new boss that you can't go to work because uh, you're not in control, man. You just have to sit in bed and smoke <laughs> weed all day. Yeah, uh, I want to come in. But yeah, no, but for me, those are two totally kind of different um, uh, conversations. You know, the whole like societal control, like like uh, and just people that the pressure of other human beings on your life that you are, are indirect and you don't really see. And then the, the whole other conversation is, is some, is there a, another reality where people are physically controlling what I am doing and thinking at any given moment? 
And that's what I'm talking about. It's like, if that is actually going on, then, but you know, it feels free to me here in my video in, on this planet. So that's free enough. Well, let but me yeah, ask you this, I, Ryan, you're driving, you're up? driving in your car right now, right? I'm parked on the side of the road, smoking a joint, talking to y'all. Yes. <laughs> I fucking love that. Okay. I love that. Okay. Uh, when you start up your car, you're going to go and a light is going to turn red and you're going to do what? I'm going to stop. And you're going to stop. Now, it's not because some machine that is devoid of humanity is telling you to stop. It's because there are social meanings that are imposing Uh themselves upon you. And what are those social meanings? They're demands from human beings. It's other people that are imposing upon you. And instantly, you're going to slow down and you're going to stop because it's going to affect you at the biological level, which means it's going to shoot out all these neuronical processes these neuronal processes, I'm sorry, and it's going to then trigger an affective, like an emotional response, and you're going to rationally then put your foot on the brake, but it's because social demands affected your biology in that moment, and that's just one small instance. Think about why you stay in the white lines when you're driving. Why do you use your turn indicator or not use your turn indicator? Why did you pull over to the side of the road to smoke a joint rather than like drive and smoke and talk on the phone at the same time? Why are you parked on the side, right? All of those things are because... Other people are returning, and they're imposing demands upon you. Maybe, maybe not. All right, but then the, the, that would go to the fir- my first uh, uh, thing that I was talking about. Like, yeah, I, I, all those are provable things. You know, uh, that that we could quantify. Like, like, like you just explained the the, the reason why I stop at a red light. You know exactly why because of behavioral science. The other thing is just this totally like metaphysical thing that is also physical but we just haven't been able to prove it yet that you know like right now it seems like and it feels like and right now science would tell you that that i'm in complete control of my body you know maybe not neurologically like you're saying there's all these other uh uh, variables that come into play but but i'm talking about you know but in the metaphysical am i a video game and it, 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 you know, it seems like that with the whole relativity thing that we, that, that, yeah, like, like, uh, uh, it's very possible, but, um, but it's, it, it feels free. So it, it's good enough for me. All right. <laughs> That's the, it feels free. So it's, it's good, good enough, enough for, me. for me. I like I that. that. That should, that should be on a t-shirt. Uh, it should be. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, just a couple of miscellaneous things I want to get through before we go to the mailbag. So. Metalhead, the name of one of the Tuckersoft games, is a previous Black Mirror episode of the previous season. Um, there's a poster in Colin's room for the Philip K. Dick book Ubik, which is a pretty awesome book uh, about basically Ubik is like a spray that makes time stop deteriorating. I would summarize the book, but it's Philip K. Dick, so it would you it would take me forever, and it probably wouldn't make much sense. Uh, yeah, so that's all I wanted to get through. So we're going to go into our voicemails. If you guys want to send us a voicemail with thoughts, comments, jokes, whatever you got, it's 213-534-8807. We're going to start off with Chase. Go, Chase. Hi, I'm Chase from Arizona. I'd like to talk to you about your Django Unchained podcast, particularly the scene where Django shoots John Brittle through the Bible strapped to his chest, the Bible page. Um, I viewed this scene as a visual metaphor, literalizing him wearing his face as armor, saying he had divine right or just the justification of religion used in the suppression and marginalization of a group of people. And by shooting him directly through the page on his chest, it was Tarantino in a way saying, your justifications don't mean anything. This is just another tool of oppression you're using to bloviate and justify your actions in the same way he then uses the whip he was going to use to punish the woman for, I believe, breaking eggs on the second Brittle Brother, saying these are just the tools you are using and that by shooting him directly through it, it's just paper that doesn't protect you from your actions. Just like to get your thoughts on that. Thanks. Chase, great job with a great point, yeah. great voicemail, and it was only a minute long. Dude, you totally killed it. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, good yeah. point. Your religion won't save you, boy. I like the way you die. I like the scene. <laughs> yeah, super interesting. I hadn't thought about the idea of, of wearing your faith uh, as armor. I mean, that's an illusion or that's uh, that's a metaphor that is used in the Bible, right? Is that you have – the only difference would be that in the Bible, the, the word of God is the sword. But whatever, it's the same thing is that you have this – 
you have this garb that protects you, that allows you to kind of confront, if you will, the struggles of the world and thwart off the arrows of the enemy, right, or whatever. And if he's using his faith as his armor to protect himself, and uh, Django is basically piercing right through the armor, saying that it's just an armor of mesh. There's something fucking profound in that. Yeah, that was a great voicemail. All right, this next one is from Matthew about the Big Lebowski. Hey, Wisecrack, it's Matthew from Virginia. I just wanted to ask your opinion on a reading regarding The Big Lebowski. So basically this reading states that the movie The Big Lebowski is about literal and mental castration. Because on the one hand, you have the act of castration with the nihilist and the Lebowskis and even a scene where the dude threatens to chop someone's dick off. But on the other hand, you have the mental castration where several of the main male characters in the movie are mentally castrated. Walter, for example, is mentally castrated. He's constantly holding around guns, but on the other hand, he's like also very like um, subdued by his wife and will do anything for him. And the big Lebowski, or um, Jeff Lebowski, as I guess you would call him, the old dude, basically, you know, on the one hand, he is, his, like, downward part doesn't work. And on the other hand, he's, like, he put up this big facade. But in reality, he's just, like, you know, he's being, like, controlled by his daughter. And the last one is Jackie Treehorn, who on the one hand, and there's a scene where he's, like, the most erotic part of the body is the human mind. But then, like, when the dude, like, goes and, like, starts drawing the thing, he was just drawing a picture of a guy with a big penis, presumably because he himself doesn't have a big one. I just wanted your thoughts on this, and this doesn't have anything to do with the reading I was just talking about, but Donnie's jacket has the word Johnson on it, and the Nihilists say that they're going to chop off um, the dude's Johnson. I don't know if this is foreshadowing or a coincidence. I just wanted your thoughts on it. Anyway, that's all. (laughs) Thank you, Matthew. that's excellent. That was great. Yeah, I really like the point you brought up about uh, about the Big Lebowski basically probably not being able to use his junk because he's paralyzed from the waist down, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other thing about why he has to compensate for his manhood because also the fact that he thinks he's a breadwinner, but he's not. Uh, yeah, super interesting. The, the Coens always have this theme about what it means to be a man. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they're... They're always confounding, if you will, standard notions of masculinity, right? Like like Walter, maybe the narrator cowboy dude is uh, is kind of a traditional man's man. But, you know, Walter's like the tough war veteran, carries a gun. He's, he's a dude. He's a man, right? But... He is kind of emasculated. He is kind of shown to be vulnerable. There are there are cracks to be revealed. And, I mean, this is why I think one of the Coen brothers are, are probably, if not the most, in the top two or three most masterful American filmmakers of the past decade plus because their ability to be able to explore these kinds of things in such an interesting way. Like Inside Lewin Davis for me is actually – it's one of their more underrated films, but I fucking think it's brilliant in how they – explore a male figure that is trying to chase an object of desire but is thwarted from that there is a castration that is involved in that as well right so it's a that's a really interesting point to bring up well more importantly i think that they have a good sense of humor about you know mas- masculinity like, like all their yes. most of their little uh, protagonists are just bumbling morons but but you know are trying to be men you know men, men, men. Like, i'm thinking like oh brother where art thou george clooney character the dude you know is just a a serious whatever. man a serious man yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I was serious man's of. probably one of the better examples um or, yeah all those characters i think that and they that they play around and have a lot of fun with that idea hmm. very cool all right we're going to move into the regular mailbag so you can send us an email at movies at wisecrack.co this first one is from john john also has a question about the big lebowski and he asks what do you think is the significance of bowling in the movie not the relationship hmm. of the main characters with bowling, I think that's pretty obvious, but of bowling in itself. It's quite ubiquitous in the movie. Do you think it represents the general chaos and unpredictability of life? I also found it interesting that in every bowling scene, we also we always see a perfect strike, except for the very last one when Donnie misses a single pin. Do you think that has any significance to the overall theme of the film, or is it simply a cool mm-hmm. piece of cinematic foreshadowing? What do you guys think? I mean, first of all, that's really interesting about 
the strike and then the spare or the, the kind of leaving one pin stranded at the end. Well, I, I, I had not thought. Well, about I that. always interpreted it like he basically just said cinematic foreshadowing, like something went a little bit wrong and Donnie's about to die. Mm. Um, but in terms of in terms of bowling, to me, it's just it's a thing to do. It is literally just a pastime. It's kind of like in a serious man. I think that the the bowling stand-in is uh, is music, because at the end when the the kid has the bar mitzvah, he goes to see the rabbi. The rabbi is supposed to impart to him these words of wisdom that are is uh, essentially supposed to explain the meaning of life. All he does is he quotes Jefferson Airplane and gives him his old iPod back. I don't know what they called it back then, but um, and I think in this one it's similar. It's that. Life is full of chaos and ins and outs and what have yous. And at the end of the day, what you got to do is distract yourself with something that gives you meaning. Or, you know, in the case of a serious man, it's art. It's keep listening to music because it's never going to make more sense than that. In this, it's keep bowling because maybe Walter's right. Maybe what happens in league play is the most important thing because there's certainly no cosmic significance to anything. So that's how I kind of read it. I, I, I take it as just a big metaphor for the dude himself and how lazy and it's the laziest sport you can do. You yes. sit around until it's your turn to walk up ten feet, you throw a big ball and then you walk back. You know, it's and you drink your beer or smoke your weed or whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, so I think that that that's a, and it's also just a really uh, visually kind of funny sport to watch too you know uh people throwing big balls at, at little pins walking you know it's a funny thing for adults to do um it looks funny on film at least that's my reasoning cool this next one is from luke luke says i just listened to your podcast on venom and i would argue that the movie does not have a second act at all rather it consists of just an extended first act in a very short third act when Venom first reveals himself to Eddie, he states that Venom can do whatever he wants as long as any as Eddie goes along with it and allows Venom to control him, then he won't eat his internal organs. After this, I would typically expect the second act to consist of Eddie and Venom slowly gaining respect for one another over a period of time so that when Venom eventually changes his mind in the third act, it all feels it all feels earned and makes sense. Uh, he also says, I'm not sure if you're aware, but over 40 minutes of footage was cut from the film, and Tom Hardy himself said in an interview that all his favorite moments of the film got cut. Uh, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that's uh, very unfortunate. Yeah, so I think that if you're mapping all the subplots, I guess I was, when I mentioned in, I think that the the only way there's a second act is if you're just mapping the primary conflict, basically the good guy versus bad guy a plot, which is, you know, Eddie versus uh, Riz Ahmed's character. But yeah, if you go into the the subplots, you know, that are oftentimes, you know, uh, developed through character relationships and stuff, then you're probably right, because Eddie and Venom's relationship does not develop really at all. There is no kind of middle up and down point for them. So I think Luke is on to something. All right, uh, we're going to end this on a uh, an email from Kevin. He says, uh, this is about Mandy. He says, I had no interest in watching Manny and it, Mandy and have ignored a lot of Nick Cage films lately. However, my brother-in-law got it for Christmas and I saw that you guys covered it on the show. So it spurred me to at least listen to your Mandy episode. And you all set up the movie just right. I immediately stopped the podcast and made plans to watch it. I really like this movie. It has such a beautiful use of color and generally a lot of what the fuck moments. I must have missed it in the film when it was revealed that Nick's character's name is Red. I didn't realize it was his name until you guys mentioned it on the podcast. Did any of you draw any connections to his name and the use of color, particularly Red, as the movie progresses? Was Red destined for this violence, vengeance, and rage his whole life? Thanks, Kevin. I, I really like that reading. I like the idea that... Because we mentioned in the podcast that there were all these hints that he had some demons that he was trying to keep down, whether it was his past with drinking. And I like the idea that the red is kind of the, the beast awakening back in him. I'd say kind of like my review for that film, it's a very simple, just, that's, you know, yeah, his name is Red, and there's Red in the movie, you know? <laughs> like, that, it was just the whole movie, I don't know. It just felt like someone trying to do a David Lynch movie with, and with purposeful what the fuck moments. Whereas David Lynch is come organically, baby. I wish you were on that podcast. Did you know that that's Jacob's favorite movie of the year? Yeah, I knew that. I mean, and I, 
I feel like I left an email or a voicemail, you know, with my opinions. But yeah, I I don't hate it, and it's kind of like what's sorry to bother you. I hate I hate I, I hate even talking shit about it because it's someone trying to make a cool original movie, you know. Right. So sure. I give them props, but at the same time, not for me. Yeah. All right, guys, well, we're going to wrap it up. So we are back. It's 2019. Show me the meaning is back every week. Next week, I really want to do a Nicolas Cage movie next week because we got a great Nicolas Cage video coming out in two weeks. So. um Hit us up on the heart. Uh, that one we're not doing. Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, send us some uh, messages. Send us an email, moviesatwisecrack.co with your favorite Nicolas Cage movie or something. I'm kind of leaning towards Vampire's Kiss, which is one that nobody has seen, but I out. fucking I love the shit out, out of that movie. Yeah. All right, guys, signing <laughs> off. Oh, wait, before we do that, where can we find you guys on the internet? Ryan. Man, I uh, just released a new Memphis Grizzlies fan music video today on... Uh, on my Ryan Shorts page. If you're into basketball or just rap songs, you know, go check it out. And Austin. <laughs> Shitty rap song. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. Uh, I also do a philosophy podcast, Owls at Dawn. Check that shit out. All right. And uh, congratulations to Austin. He just finished his book. So uh, oh, hell yeah. he, he can finally yeah. breathe a little bit. I can do stupid shit, get drunk, yeah, and please, sleep in a couple of that. days. It's you okay. Know, treat yourself a little bit. <laughs> All right, guys, signing off from... Actually, I'll let Ryan do it. All right, well, you know, I've been Culver, so I'm going to do something. All right, could barely hear that, but peace. Peace. <laughs>